Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Podcast. Watch us live every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11.05 a.m. at GoSBLive.com or visit us in person. You can find directions at GoStonebridge.com. Connect with us on our social media at Facebook.com slash GoStonebridge and our Instagram at SBChurch. It takes a village or it takes a church, but we're here. This is awesome. Yeah, thank you for all those who helped Uh, us. My honor. (laughs) Um, so uh, might as well just get the elephant uh, in the room out of the way real quick. So I am hopping along on a giant boot. It's not a fashion statement, as cool as this thing is. Uh, but uh, apparently I'm uh, not as young as I used to be. Who knew? So I'm, I'm in my, uh, I'm trending towards 50 at this point, And I thought I could just jump out there and play basketball with a bunch of 20-year-olds. But it didn't work out so great. I'd love to say that it was this climactic moment. The game was tied and I was going in for the slam dunk. And that's how this happened, but that wouldn't be true. The, the real story is I was kind of half jogging down the court and a giant pop kind of was felt and it turned out to be my Achilles tendon. So, yeah, so if you've ever done that before, um, that's not exactly ideal. Like it's, uh, that's a very useful part of the body. Uh, so anyway, we'll be hob- hobbling around for a little bit for a while, but hey, happy to be here. And by the way, uh, go Astros. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was pretty cool. Yep. Yes. That was exciting. I'm just so grateful that they just took care, they took care of it. It wasn't like an 18-inning game where I'd be dead tired this morning, could still make it to church. Thank God that we have our time change today, too, with the extra hour of sleep. That was another nice bonus last night for sure. So, hey, I want to introduce my friend here. So this is Aldo, and he gets the award. Can anybody, did anybody come further than Albania today for church? No, I think you have, you have earned the furthest commute to church today. Aldo. So no, we're really, really happy to have you here. I'm going to have him introduce himself. Just a little quick context. So myself and my son and and some of the Tucker family, we went and investigated a potential partnership with crew in Albania this past summer. We shared a little bit about, uh, Brent and I shared a little bit about it when we got back. And we just feel like there's been a lot of connections between us and that country and crew and Several people have known Aldo and felt like, wow, this just seems like God opening up a window of opportunity for our church to partner with what God is doing over there, a chance for us to step out of our comfort zone. And we're going to be doing a trip this coming summer, inviting anybody who wants to participate in it. And we'll have a little info lunch, as David talked about, right after this service today. So Aldo, thanks for being here. Let me just tell us a little bit about yourself, if you would. Well, thanks for having me. And howdy, y'all. That's pretty good. Wow. This guy's fluent even in Texan. I see some familiar faces here. It's really my honor to be here. Uh, it's great to be among brothers and sisters across the world and worship the Lord Jesus together. Amen. So, uh, yeah, my name is Aldo. I'm married to a beautiful and wonderful wife. We've got three kids. They're not here with me. They're back home. Uh, so it's <laughs> you sad. seem very well rested. Yeah, so, well, yeah, well, sort of. Between I've that had, and the jet I've line. had some good friends that have <laughs> taken good care of me, so cannot complain. But um, yeah, we've been doing uh, ministry work with crew since uh, almost 13 years now. Uh, both my wife and I were impacted by the ministry, and uh, after graduation, we joined the staff doing youth ministry for a decade, and now we're uh, leading partnership development, the partner for uh, crew in Albania. Awesome, awesome. So speaking of Albania, real quick, I thought it would be, I want to see how well, this is a pretty sharp group at Stonebridge. Can you teach us maybe one Albanian word? that we could learn today and we could try to say it? Well, Definitely. What do you want to teach us? Well, most generic, wherever you go, the, the first word that comes to mind to learn is to say thank you, right? 
So I'm going to teach you how to say thank you in Albanian. Okay? Follow me. Fale minderit. Whoa. <laughs> I was like, what? Wait, let me see. Fale minderit? Yeah, but you have been there once, so okay, it doesn't count, count, right? Okay, let's, let's, let's see if they can do it. You want to give them a little coaching real quick, and then we'll let them try. Yeah, okay. so um, some hint that we give to Americans when they come and uh, visit us. We say, say just the American word quickly, fall in the dirt. Like you're falling on the dirt. Nice. So fall in the dirt. If you say it very quickly, most Albanians will not think what you said, but it will kind of bring to them. <laughs> oh, you said falim in there. You can trick them. Yeah. So <laughs> in there. It's really a blessing. All right, let's you. see if y'all can do it. Ready? One, two, three. Wow. wow. That's pretty good. I'm impressed. Way <laughs> to go. Man, I'm telling you. Way to go, Texans. <laughs> Awesome. Hey, Aldo, so I know for a lot of us, we may not be completely studied up on geographically where Albania is or even the history. Can you just give us a little bit of info about that? Yeah, quick, well, so. since, again, since we're in Texas, I'm going to give some uh, practical, uh, say, hints on how to find out where Albania is. It's in the Balkan Peninsula, but think of Italy. You know, Italy is like the shape of a boot. So picture the hill of Italy. If it spurs backwards, yeehaw, you know, <laughs> it will point to Albania. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> that is it. That's where our country is. It's Great. fairly small, 2.8 million people. Yeah, awesome. And then tell us a little bit about the history. It's, I, I think it's a pretty fascinating history, but just, just walk us through that just a little bit. Yeah, sure. So Albania is a very old country. People, groups have settled there since 2,000 years ago. But it's mentioned in the Bible. Apostle Paul himself traveled to our land and preached the gospel. It was formerly known Illyricum. So you have that in Romans 15, 19, where Paul said, I preached the gospel from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. And so we were a Christian nation for 14 centuries. But then Turkish Empire invaded that part of the world, um, almost half of Europe, and they settled in Albania for about 500 years till 1912. And as a result of you know, heavy oppression and imposing the new religion, Islam, more than 70% of the population converted to, to Islam. Mm. And the rest remained some Catholic and or Greek Orthodox. I come from a Muslim background family. Mm. Then we had the two world wars that also took part in our land. And uh, after the second world war was, done, was finished, they left just desolation and then gave room to the communists to take over. And so the communist regime uh, was in power till 1991, and they installed the most severe communistic regime ever known in history. Mm. So much so that they went very atheist and declared Albania in 1967 to be the world's first atheist state. Mm. So it was written in the constitution that religion is banned and we're atheist country. It was one of the darkest time of our, of our country. And yet, you know, just like the story of Joseph, whenever evil tries and plans to harm, God can still redeem it and Amen. can bring good out of it. And so when communism fell in 1991, missionaries came to our country in almost 600 years to bring the gospel of Christ. They saw a deep vacuum in these Albanians' hearts. They were ready to hear about the gospel. And so the church in Albania has been fairly new. The church in Albania is younger than myself, so it's 30 years old, and I'm among you know, the first-generation Christians in our country. 
and uh, the children among the first generation Christ uh, children being raised in a Christian household, and I mean evangelical uh, uh, church. And uh, the church is growing. Yeah, that's awesome. So Tell us a little bit about, yeah, just kind of even in that, you, how, how you kind of came to know, how you came to know Christ, and then how you got involved with crew. Yeah. That's kind of part of that story, too. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, mm -hmm. So it's unlike like here, that church has been for a long time, and, you know, children have been raised, as I said. I've never heard of the gospel before, because my parents had no religious education whatsoever. They were raised under communism. But I remember uh, when I was a kid that I saw a Jesus film that was broadcasted on national te television. It was dubbed in Albanian by crew, and then I had the chance to see. However, I couldn't understand anything. And so um, when I finished high school, I went to college, and crew had a very strong ministry presence there, and that's how I got involved with the ministry, not knowing they were a Christian organization. And, but I was fascinated how authentic that community was mm. and there was something that I lacked and I needed mm. and then I found out it was because of Jesus and I wrestled with the truth of the gospel for at least two months till I finally said yes to the Lord and I followed him so the uh, next college years I was involved in the ministry in the local church there and I was dating this wonderful uh, girl at that time and as we went on mission trips and I, I saw what the Lord was doing, not just in Albania, but also in the neighboring country and how he was using us, I said, well, maybe this is what the Lord wants us to do. And so both of us graduated in 2010. We joined the ministry, we got married, and here we are, like 13 years after. That's awesome. That's awesome. And you know, what I love about that too is, again, having been over there and worked with some of the college students, we see, we really got to see firsthand that hunger they have that desire because it's almost like, even though there's ancient roots to Christianity with this generation now, it's still like very new and there's a curiosity about it. They're trying to figure out their purpose. They, they wanna know like, why would you come over here? And, and they were very open to conversations. And I love that you've lived that, that was your story. And now you're getting to make opportunities for people who were just like you were a few years ago. Yeah, and the cool part of this, you know, we're not just doing it for our own country because God has called us to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. There is a great need for the gospel in Albania, and I'm aware of that. And I'm here because I want you to come and help and work with us so we can reach our people. We develop summer camps, sports events, artistic events, and these give us the opportunity to build meaningful relationships and then we can bridge the gospel to them. But the cool part is that your investment does not just stop in Albania, because we're also doing our part, our small part, yet sending Albanians to the neighboring countries so the gospel could be spread out. So your impact continues beyond our, our borders. Yeah, It's yeah. really a, a privilege to be working together and you know, to sell it to them a little bit. Albania is the most American-friendly country in Europe. So they even it, like Texans. They oh, a lot. especially yeah. Texans. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And so yeah. they would love being around you just because of your identity, just because of who you are. Albanians would love to hang out with you, learn about you. It's a great opportunity for you to share the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. Awesome, awesome. Well, we're so thankful, although, for you, for being here. We will have an opportunity, if it's something that you feel interested in, want to learn more about, you are welcome to come to the downstairs conference room 
right after church, right after this service, right next to the downstairs bathrooms. We'll have a chance. Aldo will be there. I'll be there. The Tuckers will be there just to help fill in a little more detail on what we would do for a trip, uh, what we plan to do this summer. And so we'd invite you to come. Can I pray for you real quick, Aldo? Please. Yeah, let's, let's pray uh, for him. Father, we thank you so much for Aldo. What an amazing story of how you have brought your amazing goodness and kindness into Albania, Lord, when evil tried to come and, and try to take it all away. And, and Lord, and yet your good plan cannot be overcome by evil. Thank you for his testimony and thank you for the incredible things that you're doing right now in the lives of so many over there and the way it's spilling out to different parts of the world. Lord, we pray that whoever's supposed to be a part of this trip, you will really make that known to them and God, that you would use us to, to do our part in sharing the good news with those around us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, amen. thanks all that. Yes, let's give him a, let's thank him for being here, thank you. Awesome. And so we are in a series right now called The Social Benefits of Following Jesus. And for me, it, it just kind of makes me think about what is the impact on the world because of Christ, because of Christians? How is the world different? And, and I believe that, that there are profound differences that Christ and Christians have made generation after generation. And today the title is this idea of unconquerable goodness. That even though we read the news and we see what's going on, there's so much tragedy and atrocity and evil things being done. But I believe that even more powerful is the goodness of God that is growing in the midst of all that evil. And we want to really talk about what is our part in that today. I came across an article that was written a little bit about kind of the impact of Christianity over the years. I just want to read just a little bit from it. It's by Sharon James from the UK. And she says this, To cities filled with homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new expanded sense of family. The cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. Worldwide, it is Christian missionaries who have led the way in providing medical clinics, blood banks, mental health programs, and alcohol and drug rehabilitation. So I want to think just a little bit on how might God use us? There's, there's this impact as we look through history of all these acts of kindness and these organizations and these acts of grace that have been done throughout generations. How might he use us now to continue that, that work of sowing good seed? And so there's a, there's a passage that talks about sowing and reaping I want to look at a little bit today. It's in Galatians 6, if you want to turn there. Galatians 6, starting in verse 7. It says this, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And so that idea of sowing and reaping is one of those 
laws of nature. I know that maybe for our kids, for our younger kids, they might be operating under the belief that when they walk into HEB, those fruits and vegetables just magically regenerate themselves and they just sort of live on the shelves of a grocery store. But we probably realize that it doesn't work that way, that we have to plant a seed, that from that seed, when you sow a seed, fruit eventually will come forth. And you want to sow good seed. In general, if you have a garden or you have a yard, we know that you have to tend it. Or if you don't, if you leave it to nature, it gets overrun with weeds. In the same way, I think in this passage, it's saying we have to tend to our inner world. It says, it uses this language in verse 8, whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And so there's this idea in here that what are we sowing to today? And that's kind of, again, an illustration of really who am I living for? Am I living for myself? What I want to do? Kind of my own desires? My own whims? Or am I living for God? Is he the one that I'm, when I wake up, I'm saying, God, I want to honor you today. God, I want to live for your will. I want to be your servant. That's the idea, I think, of sowing to the flesh or sowing to the spirit. It happens in our inner world. And so there's a illustration, I think, in the Old Testament. Some guys in my small group. How many of y'all have heard of the Bible app before? It's a really great tool. If you don't have the Bible app, I would recommend downloading it. It's a really really helpful resource. We've been doing a devotional by Craig Rochelle called Fight. And some of our men did it this past summer as well. But it really looks at the life of Samson. Samson is, a, is an interesting story. Uh, God used him for sure. He was one of the judges of Israel. But there's a lot of destruction too that kind of followed him. And I think about Samson. He was born really kind of a miracle child. And he was, to, he was to be dedicated to the Lord. In fact, he was under a Nazarite vow. We think of Samson with big muscles and long hair, right? So he was under this dedication to the Lord type vow where he was to not even drink alcohol. He was to stay away from dead bodies and just these different rules because he was supposed to be set apart. And yet Samson, as he grows up, kind of lived for Samson. He just kind of did whatever he felt like doing. He, he saw a cute girl that lived in, Philist, in the Philistines. He said, hey, I want to go marry her. Next thing you know, he's throwing a big bachelor party that lasted for like a week. He wasn't supposed to drink alcohol. There was probably alcohol there because he kind of wanted to do it. Another story is, which was amazing, he wrestles a lion with his strength, kills the lion, but then later goes back, finds the carcass, and there's honey inside. So he's like, hey... I want some honey, right? Even though he wasn't supposed to go near a dead body, but he went to the carcass anyway and ate some of the honey. You just see Samson had this pattern of sowing to the flesh. And we'll come back to that in a minute. But from that kind of life, destruction would follow. And that's what happens for us. So it begins again in that inner world of what are we sowing to today? What am I thinking about? What are my intentions? What are my aims? So in your handout... There's a phrase here which just says, proactive sowing, be intentional about sowing seeds of grace 
and kindness into others. And let me read the, the next two verses that go along with that. Paul will, will say in verse 9, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And I love, again, there's that metaphor about agriculture. Several years ago, I got all into gardening. For you to visit my backyard now, it looks atrocious. It kind of happens with everybody that all the former gardeners have, you know, you have that, those years you're excited about it. And then you have like the remains with just weeds. That's kind of where mine is now. It's kind of a sad sight. But in those first years when I would do it, I had to learn patience. I was all excited that this thing is going to grow tomatoes. And I'd go out the next day and it was still just a little plant. I had to wait. I had to wait. And you see that kind of idea that as we're living for God, it's kind of that long obedience in the same direction. Day after day, it's about trusting God that it doesn't happen immediately. Don't grow weary in well-doing. And then it has this command of, as we have opportunity, God has placed you and me where we are to do good here in the church and out in the world. I have to say, so this happened Tuesday, my little, uh, where I get to start wearing a boot in my little Achilles episode. It's been humbling. Things that I normally could do, I am very... Um, unable to do them, like things like walking and my morning routine, like even like I realized my son who I have to take to school, his bedroom is on the second floor of our house. I'm like, I'm supposed to climb the stairs. And so I'm like bear crawling up the stairs now every morning, <laughs> just all these things. And in this season, I've had to kind of allow people to help me. But it has also allowed me to see the grace and the kindness of God's people towards me. I've gotten a benefit from that. When I first did it, thank you, John Canterbury, like drove me to the doctor and Christine was making me coffee so I didn't have to walk to the coffee machine. And uh, my, uh, Christy, who works with me, she was uh, found an MRI place and all these acts of kindness that they were sowing those good and gracious seeds into my life. And then the biggest surprise was yesterday, I went to Walmart which I struggle with Walmart. Again, I've shared before that it doesn't always bring out the best in me. And so I go to Walmart and I am hobbling in on this knee cart, which is a great invention. I'm very grateful for the knee cart thing where I'm kind of like this little scooter thing. And I scoot on in and this lady looks at me and I've met her before. She's a sweet Christian lady. She, she looks at me, she's like, oh boy, you, you're gonna need some help. I'm like, yes, I do. Do you have any ideas on how I could shop with this? And she comes up, she's like, well, let's figure this out. So she like, okay, on this side, we're going to double bag it. And that's for your heavy items. And this side, we're going to single bag it. You put your, your uh, not, you know, your lighter weight items here. And she like built this little system on my knee cart. She didn't have to do that. It's just she kind of took time to sow a seed of kindness into my life. And that made an impact. I'm like, wow, God has been teaching me that a lot. You know, one of the things I've seen is that the world has changed one caring Christian at a time. I read a, I want to share just a little bit of a story I came across in the Christianity Today magazine that I, I really, really appreciated. There's a guy named Eduardo Roca, who right now serves as a chaplain for the Tennessee State Guard. He had a really rough life, grew up pretty much without parents, and then eventually got pulled into kind of the wrong crowd and ended up in prison and was about to take his own life 
when he heard a voice saying, wait, there's still hope for you, which he began to see was, was God speaking to him. And here's what he says. He said, I said, God, if that's really you, please help me. I was facing 15 years to life in prison and I didn't know what to do. But the voice brought a certain peace of mind. When a guard gave me a Bible, I started reading the Gospels. I was captivated by the stories of Jesus, how he would speak to people in great need and meet those needs in miraculous ways. But the verse that made the deepest impression was 2 Corinthians 5.17, where Paul promises that if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Soon I was invited to a church meeting in the jail's gymnasium. And I love this part. On a Monday night, a volunteer hugged me and told me that not only did God love me, but he did too. I had forgotten what it felt like to be hugged. That very night, October 6, 1986, I surrendered to the love of Christ, accepting his offer to be my Lord and Savior. I love that part. I love the part about the volunteer because I think that connects to us. That was someone that you know, maybe he had a full day that day and he's like, oh yeah, I'm going to go volunteer at this prison ministry thing later tonight and kind of showed up. Maybe he didn't think he was doing that much, trying to help out here and there. Has this one little interaction, just plants a little seed, just gives a hug, shares a kind word. Little did he know that that seed, that good seed he planted, would result in an eternal harvest and change a life. That that guy would accept Christ later that night. And I do believe that that is the power of God's people going out, doing what we do in everyday interactions. It doesn't have to be big, huge things. It's just being ourselves, being God's children, letting the fruit of the spirit of joy and peace and kindness flow through us, people notice. And that's what brings that unconquerable goodness to the world around us. But let me ask you a question. What about... What about when people wrong us or hurt us? How will we react as God's people? What kind of seeds will we sow in those situations? I want to look at another passage in Romans 12 that looks at that. If you want to turn to Romans 12, we'll look at verse 17. In Romans 12, it says, Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. I love this passage. It deals with the fact that this is a nasty, broken, full of pain world that we live in. There are things that happen to us. There are things that people say to us that everything inside of us wants to lash back out at them. That's the natural way that we feel. It's an eye for an eye, eye, for an eye kind of world. It's a, you hit me, I hit you. You insulted me, I insult you. That's just the way the world tends to operate. Gandhi, the famous leader, he said it this way, one wound leads to another in culture, and we become more and more divided. It is an eye for an eye until the whole world goes blind. But go back to the Samson story for a moment. You see this train wreck of events in Judges 14 and 15. I just want to recap it real quick. It 
It's kind of a crazy story. So Samson was at this bachelor party, this wild party that went on for like a week. Can you imagine what kind of party that would be? And he thinks, hey, let's come up with a bet to try to win some money from these Philistine guys. So he, he creates this riddle that he knew would be impossible for them to solve. And he said, whoever loses, if you can't solve the riddle, you owe me 30 outfits of clothing. And so they can't figure it out. They finally get his fiance to get the answer out of them right at the last minute. And they solve the riddle. Samson realizes they cheated. And so he gets really, really angry. Again, this is an ongoing problem for him. He reacts. So he goes and he kills 30 innocent people, takes their clothing and gives it to him because he lost the bet. Then he storms back to his father's house in anger, leaving his fiance there. They were supposed to get married. So the father, the fiance's father thinks he's not coming back, gives her to be married to someone else. He comes back eventually, gets mad about that. So he's like, oh, I'll show them. And he rounds up 300 foxes, ties them in pairs, sets them on fire, lets them run through the fields of the Philistines, creating havoc and revenge out of his anger. Of course, they're not real happy about that. So they retaliate. And they figure out who was the cause of it. Goes back to Samson's former fiance. They kill the former fiance and the father. They lose their life. Samson gets angry about that and it says a great slaughter happened. He killed many, many more people. Bottom line is when we give in to those emotions, when we let anger take over, when we just react in our flesh, destruction is what we reap. Casualties hurt people. That's what the world does. I love this quote from John Ortberg. I think it really gives insight into this evil that we can fall into. He says this in one of the videos I was watching. He says, every murder, every killing is senseless except to the one who inflicts it. That's evil. It happens in the mind and it gets into our emotions, into our intentions, and into our bodies, and into our habits. Why? Because it becomes justified in the mind. We justify it. And it's rehearsed over and over again. And Ortberg says, he asks, who is susceptible to this? I am. You are. We all are. So if we're all vulnerable and susceptible to this kind of evil and this kind of sense of revenge, what do we do? I want to read just the rest of Romans 12, a few more verses. Verse 20, Paul goes on, he says, Instead, instead of this idea of taking revenge and eye for an eye, instead, if your enemies are hungry, your enemies, feed them. Give them something they don't deserve. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their head. I don't know what that phrase really means. None of the commentators really do either. I know sometimes I've heard some people on one extreme say, well, yeah, you're supposed to feed your enemies and give them something to drink. And then you're supposed to dump a bunch of hot coals on their head. (laughs) No, that is not what that means. That is totally wrong. I think that it's a picture of continuing to care for your enemies, to bless them. Because burning coals were their livelihood. It was their source of warmth. It's how they cooked their food. So there's this sense of, That's how they lived in that ancient time in the Middle East. So the the idea is that you give mercy, you give what's not deserved 
to these people. You bless them, just like Jesus says, you bless your enemies, you pray for those who persecute you, you love your enemies. Then in verse 21, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. So it's by God's power that we break this cycle. Again, in the Samson story, it's just this cycle of back and forth of revenge and, and more and more people get hurt and destructions in that path. How do we break that cycle? It's only by God's power. Evil can only be overcome by good. And so another phrase in your handout, reactive sowing. So what are we going to sow when we react? Choose to sow seeds of mercy and forgiveness to those who've wronged you. And Charles Spurgeon, the English preacher, he had this to say about this passage in Romans 12. He said, you must either be overcome by evil or you must yourself overcome evil. One of the two. You cannot let evil alone. And evil will not let you alone. You must fight. And in the battle, you must either conquer or be conquered. You can't ignore it. There's an evil that's there that's wanting to take over and conquer. So before we can conquer evil with good, we have to let God overcome the evil in us. He's the only one that could conquer that evil and that sense of revenge and that sense of reacting in our flesh. Only God can overcome that. And so that's the last thing I want to end with is this parable because I believe the heart of God, what he's doing, the heart of what changes us is forgiveness. We have to come to a place of embracing forgiveness. In Matthew 18, I'm just going to read this passage, this parable. Peter asked this question in verse 21. Peter came up to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Some, some translations are like 70 times seven. Jesus is saying there's no limit to how many times you forgive. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement... A man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, in other words, an amount that they could never have paid back, a man who owned him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. There was no hope. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. Now I will pay back everything. Servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, which may have been a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? 
think this is the heart of the gospel, is grasping forgiveness. I think it's important, though, to realize that the amount that that other servant owed one servant, it wasn't just like 50 cents. And I think that's good because people hurt us deeply. That we can be wronged, and it can be deep, and we can, it's, I don't want to trivialize that. There are some things that have been done to us that are painful, that hurt us, that go deep. But what's seen in this story is the contrast. There's still no comparison to how Christ has forgiven us completely for all eternity, setting us free. No longer is there any debt we owe. We are made right with God, and we have a new life that we get to go out and live. Like we are, that debt that was impossible to pay, where there was no hope, has been paid. In just a moment, we're going to take communion. And I think about that picture of Jesus on the cross. There's another verse in John that also talks about a seed. In John 12, it talks about unless a kernel of wheat or a seed of wheat dies and is put in the ground, it just remains a seed alone. But if it dies and goes into the ground, it produces a harvest. That seed was Jesus' life. He offered his very life, his perfect life. And he did it for us so that that debt could be completely paid for. There was no other hope. We could never have paid the debt on our own. Impossible. Only one way, and that was what Jesus did for us. He paid it for us. And on that scene at the cross, there was hatred. There were all these hurtful words. There were physically hurtful actions that we can't even imagine. There was all that just hate and evil spewing forth at him. And we see this picture of rather than spewing it back at people, what he was saying was, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Forgiveness was pouring out of the heart of God's Son. And that is what changes the world. That's that unconquerable goodness. It's not just lashing back out and perpetuating the cycle of destruction and revenge. It's about this power of forgiveness. And it starts with you and me of just surrendering to it and saying, God, I'm yours and allowing him to embrace us and, and for us to realize that that embrace and we give him our life, we are set free and all that debt, everything we've done, completely paid for, made right with God. So if you wanna take out your communion cups here, the night that right before Jesus would face the cross where he would offer his life, so that we could be forgiven. He gathered his disciples together. And these were imperfect people just like you and I are. Clearly could never have paid that debt, could never have been good enough for God. But Jesus was gonna take a Passover meal, give it a whole new meaning to show them that I'm gonna die for you so that that debt you owe, that this impossible idea of being good enough for God, it's not about that. It's I'm gonna die in your place to pay for it. I'm gonna do what you never could do for yourself. And so he takes the bread and he gives it a whole new meaning. And he helps them understand that this bread represents his body. 
which is about to be broken for them. And he says, do this in remembrance of me, take and eat. And then he took the cup, also given this a whole new meaning as well. And in the Bible, the blood, forgiveness of sin is through the shedding of blood. So the perfect son of God shed his blood so that we could be forgiven and made right with him. This is the blood of a new covenant. He said, take and drink. Well, let's pray together. Father God, Lord, we thank you for this incredible sacrifice, God. We thank you for your unconquerable goodness, Jesus, that no matter how much hate was spewed at you, no matter how much sin and evil there is in this world, it's no match for your grace, for your love, for your forgiveness. God, let that begin in us. Lord, I pray that there's someone here that has never surrendered their life to you. Let this be the day. All you have to do is just receive it like you'd receive a gift. You can just say, Lord Jesus, thank you that you have died for me to pay for my sin. I realize I am a sinner. I need a savior. I can't do it on my own. I give you my life. I trust you as my Lord and savior. Make me into the person you wanna be. If you pray that from your heart, you believe that on your heart, you confess Jesus as your Lord and savior. Romans, it says you will be saved. You will become right with God and all that debt, no matter how much baggage you have in your life, no matter how many wrongs you've done or how many regrets you have, it is paid for completely. You are made into a new person. That evil and that hatred that may have been in your heart, it's conquered by the good, by the grace of Jesus Christ. And we get to be new people going out into the world to share that good news with others. Jesus, we thank you and we give you this, we give you our lives and pray that you would use us to sow those seeds all around us. In Jesus' name.